1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: A warning, this series contains discussion of themes that might be distressing for some listeners.
3: I probably think about it every day to some extent, yeah.
2: You think about it every day?
3: I think so, yeah.
2: And what do you think? Mm,
3: just mm, feel a lot of guilt about it and just how sad it was that and what i believe that an innocent man had to go through what he
2: went through peter alice the Crash case and me is a newsroom.co.nz production we take you right inside one of New Zealand's most controversial cases, when a kind of madness gripped Christchurch, resulting in a miscarriage of justice that would take 30 years to put right. It was a saga that divided a city, destroyed families and shocked the nation. Mrs Ellis, are you convinced that your son is innocent? Completely convinced my son is innocent. I don't know how I ended up in
4: 30. Child abuse charges he was a very clever offender.
2: If I asked you to take a lie detector test, would you take it?
4: I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Some of the words that are said in that courtroom, I just literally feel ill.
5: <laughs> oh, the police are an embarrassment. The hysteria just blew up.
0: The charges against the accused have been established beyond reasonable debt.
2: Kia ora. I'm Melanie Reid, Newsroom's Investigations Editor. Welcome to the final episode in our eight-part podcast, The Girl Who Retracted. In this heartbreaking episode, I talked to the girl who was the star witness in the Peter Ellis trial. Then, a year later, she told the truth. She hadn't been abused at all. We can't tell you her name, and her voice has been altered to protect her identity.
3: I guess when when everything happened, it was a couple of years before I came and said that it didn't happen, you know? So uh, those two years were um, those two years were really rough because I knew that what uh, I guess I was often told that my testimony was the strongest testimony, that I was the reason that he was put into jail, that, and so yeah. I guess like it's living with a lot of guilt, you know?
2: A year after Peter Alice had been sent to prison, Ruby, not her real name, admitted she had not been indecently assaulted by Alice. In fact, she had not been abused in any way at all. Her testimony had been crucial to the Crown case, as she was the oldest and most compelling of the 13 children who gave evidence against him. Then if it wasn't for you, did you think he may not be in jail, is that how you saw it when you were little?
3: Mm-hmm, yeah,
2: yeah. You were like eight and nine years old and you were feeling this terrible. Mm-hmm, yeah, I re- re- really well. <laughs> the Christchurch Civic
5: Crash child abuse case is back in court today. Former crash worker Peter Ellis is appealing his 10-year sentence on 16 charges of indecencies against young children.
2: Ruby made her retraction during Alice's first appeal hearing in 1994. The case was being widely covered in the media.
3: I remember hearing that on the radio, driving home from my, from Nana's house, and I think that that was the moment when I said to my mum, "Like, none of this happened." And of course, at first, she was just like in shock because she doesn't. How do you deal with that? Because she had been so drawn into the whole thing, I guess.
2: So you'd been feeling bad for ages, or
3: what was the story? Yeah, I mean, that that whole year, uh, or however long it was, I was
2: feeling really bad about it and feeling really guilty. Ruby's retraction caused shockwaves throughout the legal system. As we have covered in previous episodes, the Court of Appeal sent Nicholas Till, a senior barrister, to interview Ruby and her parents. Tell reported back to the court that, in his view, Ruby had changed her story to make herself feel better, and she was effectively in denial.
4: We are by no means satisfied that this girl did lie at the interviews and in her evidence, although she may now genuinely think she did.
3: They didn't believe me that they said that I was just in so much trauma that I I don't know if they said that I'd forgotten it happened or that I was just trying to block it out, or but anyway, they didn't believe me.
2: So I want to show you some, um, some video stories. I've got them here. And this is particularly what I want mm-hmm. you to look at. Colin E believes the reason the child said she lied was simply because she didn't want to be involved anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it was a true recanting.
4: She was a great complainant. She was really clear about what had happened, and she was very good in court.
2: Until now, Ruby has never watched or read anything about the Christchurch Civic Crash case. It was simply too difficult for her to deal with. This is the first time she has seen stories from the past, including what the police said about her retracting.
4: It just means that she's wanting to say, look, it didn't happen.
2: Her parents believe her now?
4: Well, I stand by what I say in relation to her to her, um, original statements in, in the interviews.
2: Do you agree, though, Mr E, that perhaps they might know their daughter better than you?
4: They may do. Well, of course they do. But in relation to that complaint, who knows what's going on around their withdrawal of... of Sorry, the child's withdrawal. I
3: mean, it's just pretty bizarre, really, that he, he made his mind
2: up about what he wanted to believe, you know? In all of these years, has anyone from Crown Law, from the Ministry of Justice, come and said, hey, you recanted, can we have a conversation? No, no Never. never. And adding to a rather confusing picture at the time was a prevailing or perhaps convenient view that recanting wasn't all that unusual. It
4: does happen a lot with child complainants that to some some extent or other they withdraw or they try to withdraw from what's happened.
2: So has it happened in the crash case? Yes. With about how many children?
4: Well, I'm not sure how many, but I'd be surprised if if not all of them have done it at some stage.
2: So you're telling me that you wouldn't be surprised if if the children that convicted Peter Ellis have since turned around and said, look, this didn't happen? At some stage.
3: Uh, (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that, really.
2: Enrolled in the mid-80s, Ruby spent three years at the Christchurch Civic Crèche. Her memories of her preschool days are vague, but she does remember Peter Alice.
3: who was my favourite of the teachers that were there, definitely.
2: And yeah. why do you think that was? I
3: don't know, it was funny and, and charismatic,
2: yeah.
4: I'm very good with art, even if I say so myself. Um, and... Um, Music, I'm not too bad with music and and I also got down i got down to children's level like I mean I was prepared to, to do wheelbarrow races and I wasn't going to be just sitting in the corner just reading stories and I mean we were out there having fun and I mean we were in the sand pit digging you know holes, we were just making sand castles I mean we were doing great big holes and I mean I'd go the slide down the slide. I'd get on the swings and have a swing. I mean
3: I remember like this kind of yeah, energetic teacher walking to the library with him and holding everyone had to hold onto a rope and I remember the crash as just being this big old building and huge stamp it.
2: Ruby had left the crèche and been at school for four years when Peter Ellis was arrested and charged with one count of sexual abuse. She was one of more than 100 children scooped up into the social welfare interviews. What do you recall of it when
3: it all blew up? Um, I think I was asked about it first and it was uh, past my bedtime. So... (laughs) That was, I was like, wow, this is cool, I'm getting to stay up later than usual, you know.
2: Is that from your parents?
3: From my parents, yeah. I think, like, the the interviews, I can particularly remember the woman who was interviewing me, and, you know, she was giving me all these dolls with genitals and stuff, so, you know, it was quite obvious, like, you knew what they wanted to hear, and they were kind of sitting there and Yeah, I guess pressuring, asking these questions, and I had no uh, knowledge of this sort of thing until I was questioned about it. So,
2: yeah. Do you remember any of the questions, or you just remember what you felt like?
3: I remember them holding these dolls and saying, you know, show us with this doll where he touched you, and this sort of thing. (laughs) It was very. leading questions where you know they they'd ask you a question but the the answer that they wanted was kind of built into the questions you know what i mean like it was you know where did he touch you instead of being a
2: did he touch you yeah
3: i've never seen dolls dolls like these ones before so i mean if you give a child these kind of dolls you know that the child knows what you're expected to talk about you know because it's not A
2: normal doll to give to a nine-year-old,
3: yeah.
2: And did you know when you were going off track, like if, when you weren't giving them the answers that they wanted?
3: Yeah, it was easy to play the game with them, you know, (laughs) they didn't make it difficult. So that's,
2: when you say play the game, you mean you knew what was expected? What was my
3: part and what was their part, yeah. Mm.
2: And looking back on that process, what are your thoughts?
3: My thoughts are that any reasonable adult would not question a nine-year-old in that way because children know how to lie, you know, children know how to please adults, children know what to do to get a reaction or to get a reward. And it was very obvious what people wanted to hear, you know, and you know, did say what they wanted to hear, there was kind of, oh, I'd go and get some new clothes or I don't really know.
2: (laughs) So you would get a reward? Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, like. uh, Um. You know, I think that my parents were doing the best that they could in the situation, so I don't want to say... Yeah. Just recently, you know, like I can remember I got this seal and I
2: just recently threw it away. (laughs) You got it after one of these interviews? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads
1: and still lost 50 pounds.
2: Now, this is a bit rough, this question, Mm -hmm. but do you remember that they even went as far as giving you a medical examination?
3: Yes, I remember this. I mean, I think like, yeah, I've blocked a lot of it out, but no, I do remember that. It was basically like, what if uh, a woman has to have a pap smear or something like this? It was something along those lines. I remember my mum being quite upset too. Uh,
2: She told me that she had to kind of hold you down, basically. Yeah, I don't remember this. Mm. Ruby's life was now dominated by a rotating cast of adults. Interviewing, counselling, supporting, supervising. People came to our house a lot at that time. Lots of conversations
3: going on about me around me, I guess.
2: (laughs) There was a specialist interviewer's... There were the police, and then there were social workers assigned to the families. Plus, there was counselling. Yeah, I remember such
3: strange books and toys. And can you remember the police detective coming to your house? Yes, quite a few times he came. Yeah.
2: And do you have any memories of that, or just?
3: I, <laughs> I can. I remember he was, had a very strong presence and was quite authoritative. I guess I think I can remember him having an argument with my mum at some
2: stage Early on Ruby's parents were sceptical about the allegations against Peter Alice but say they were swept up in the fear and panic that had broken out amongst the parents in 1997, I spoke to Ruby's father about Detective Colin Aide. This is a revoicing of that interview.
5: We were convinced that in the first part, she hadn't been abused at all.
2: And what made you change your mind?
5: Well, the interview procedure, I suppose. And the results were told of the interview. By? Colin Aide.
2: And how did you find him?
5: Initially, he was fine. Subsequently, he sort of became a bit more erratic... It seemed to be a very personal thing to him.
2: And what indicators were there to you that he was a little bit worrisome, perhaps?
5: On one occasion I questioned him, well, I tried to, while we were trying to make our mind up whether to go ahead with it. He, he became really quite upset. Well, what about? Well, about how, well, you know, I suppose how we wanted to pull out. I was just one of those bloody intellectuals that just thought too much and didn't really want to realise that my child had been abused.
2: So was he quite abusive to you?
5: Oh, yeah, he was... We were just sitting down and watching in amazement as he stomped around the room shouting at us. Then he just walked out without a word.
4: All I'll say is they were discussing things with me and that I decided to leave and said, I'm leaving. There was no threats.
2: Do you think that there was any possibility that you may have intimidated them in any way? Not at all. The next stage, the child's father recalls, was when Brent Stanaway, the Crown Prosecutor, came to see them at their home. He came across
5: in a way that satisfied us. He said there are some cases they won't go ahead with, the more bizarre cases, really, they won't be pursuing, the more outrageous claims. Only the ones that had some substance would be followed up and we were persuaded by
2: him really to go ahead. Do you remember at all the Crown Prosecutor and his wig coming to your house yeah,
3: before you went to court? I do remember that, yeah, I have vague memory of the, <laughs> the man in the wig coming.
2: The man in the wig coming.
3: <laughs> yeah, I have vague memory, yeah.
2: So you've got the Crown Prosecutor, the police all coming to your house? Yeah. Ruby went ahead and gave evidence and lived up to the expectation of being the crown's most credible and compelling witness. At the end of the six-week trial, when Peter Ellis was convicted and sent to jail, the realisation of what she'd done, what she'd been part of, set in.
3: Like I just feel I feel a lot of shame and a lot of guilt about it. Um, I mean, just that I was involved in the whole thing not nice
2: <laughs> to be, to have been such a big part of it. So you couldn't see the kind of whole industry around it, like the police, the social workers, the parents?
3: Yeah, I mean I, I totally understand why my parents were pulled into it, that I was pulled into it, like I I understand it's logically but emotionally maybe not.
2: So. so Peter was convicted in June of 1993. And then his court of appeal hearing was in 1994, and then it came out that there had been a retraction, and that was you. Yeah, You were 11. Did you think, okay, it's kind of over now? You yes, were a little 11-year-old mind, Can you remember?
3: Yeah, I thought it, Yeah, I think so I thought that you know the like guilt would go away, or I thought that if I told the truth, then Peter would have come out of jail. Yeah because okay. even after I retracted, he was still in jail. It didn't kind of get rid of the guilt that I felt, of course.
2: Do you think it's one of the reasons that you've spent a lot of time overseas, or what do you think? Mm, I think probably, like, just trying to... Try to get away. And you thought if you lived away, you lived overseas, it would go away.
3: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so it's quite hard to talk about it, so I, don't, I can't always find the right words for it, you know? no, I mean, I don't, I don't see myself as the victim in this, I, uh, he's the victim in this, it's just... I uh, um, just really wish I wasn't part of it, you know?
2: He didn't blame you, you know that, don't you? He wrote to you, didn't he? Yeah. These are some excerpts from the letter that Peter wrote. I have no anger or hold you responsible for what happened. You were a child. You've shown that courage over and over again with your continued conviction to stand by what you know is right. A worldwide event overtook us. I am sorry that you have taken it to heart so much. You were a child, and this event should never have been allowed to happen. I am proud of you. You clearly have the courage and independence to continue to be a wonderful young woman. One day, I hope you'll find a partner, husband, and have children, and be an inspiration to them, as you have been to me. Kind thoughts always, Peter.
3: I wish I'd seen him before I wish I'd talked to him. Um, yeah. would it would have be been nice to say sorry to him. Sorry that I was part of it.
2: Do you know that in all the interviews I did with Peter Ellis, you know the one thing he always said is, I like, do not blame. The children. Mm-hmm. The children are victims of the system, meaning the social workers, yeah. the police. Yeah. And this is one you know, quote that I always remember him saying. And that is, I hope that one day, and he was crying. I hope
4: one day that they're actually going to be prepared to come along and say, hello, Peter. Can you tell me, did we get it wrong? And I'll tell them, they got it wrong.
3: Yeah, yeah, they definitely got it wrong.
2: In 2019, at the age of 61, Peter Ellis died of cancer. His death came two months after the Supreme Court allowed him the right to appeal his convictions. The appeal was led by his original trial lawyer, Rob Harrison. Three years later, in October 2022, the Supreme Court released its decision. This is the Chief Justice of New Zealand, Helen Winkleman.
0: Mr Alice died before the appeal hearing. The release of this court's judgment marks the end of a long and painful journey through the courts for the many people involved in this case. The formal orders of the court are... The applications to adduce further evidence are granted. The appeal is allowed. The convictions of the appellant are quashed.
2: The Supreme Court decision also came too late for his mother, Leslie, who had always stood by her son but died three months earlier. The ashes of Peter and his dog, Flo, were buried with his mum. When I found out the Supreme Court decision, that there'd been a miscarriage of justice, it was such a strange feeling, one of relief, elation, but deep sadness. Peter always said there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, it was a bloody long tunnel, and it was so gutting he died before the decision, and so did his dear mother. The question now is, does all this lead to the calling for a wide-ranging independent inquiry about how this could ever have happened? Not only did the investigation and surrounding processes fail Peter Ellis, his mother and Farno, and all those either charged and affected by it, but it also failed the Kreish children and their families. Because of how our government agencies collectively conducted themselves, it meant... It was flawed from the get-go. Perhaps it may be time to get our inquiries done by someone outside of our little country, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Justice, real justice, does seem to demand it. To watch the video series of Peter Ellis, The Crash Case, and me, and for more award-winning journalism that matters, head to newsroom.co.nz. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. Check out our social media pages to get in touch and see photos and video clips. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok by searching the. Peter Ellis Case. This series is written, produced, and presented by me, Melanie Reid, edited by Paul Entercott and Lewis Tennant. Original music by H. Pryor, sound mix by Richard Wills, written and produced by Bonnie Sumner, and our podcast producer is Lewis Tennant. This is a Newsroom Investigates production made in partnership with News Hub. Peter Ellis, The Crash Case and me, is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands,